Welcome to Whole and Holy, the Bethel Seminary podcast. I'm Peter Vogt. I'm the Dean of Bethel Seminary, and I'm the host of this podcast. And I'm delighted today to welcome Ivan Veldheisen. He is the Vice President of International Ministries for Converge. Converge, for those listeners who may not know, is a, an organization of churches, a movement of churches that uh, seek to work together to advance the gospel. It was formerly known as the Baptist General Conference. In his role as Vice President of International Ministries, he oversees all mission efforts and missionaries for Converge. He's a Bethel Seminary graduate. He served in Minnesota churches for 28 years, and he's been in his role in Orlando for almost 10 years. He's been married to his wife, Susan, for 38 years. She served at Bethel University for 28 of those years, and they have three children and five grandchildren. And despite the fact that he's living in Orlando, he is still a, a Vikings and a Twins fan, which is a great thing for us to hear, those of us in Minnesota. Ivan, welcome to Whole and Holy. Hey, thank you so much, Peter. It's great to be with you today. Well, we're doing I'm, time together. So, yeah, this is this is great. I'm delighted to have you uh, be a part of the the podcast. I want to start out by asking you, uh, <clears throat> how is it that you came to be involved in your work and and the work of missions more broadly? Yeah, that's that's a a crazy God God story actually. Um, when I was 13, I gave my life to Christ. Uh, at a Bible camp. And the moment I did, I knew God was calling me into vocational ministry and that uh, calling never left me. Hmm. I thought for many years that God was calling me to be a missionary. So I, I always had this interest, this desire to learn about missions, to uh, learn about the world. And so that, that was from the time I was, you know, in junior high school. Hmm. Uh, as I went to college, the Lord, I'll say, redirected me into pastoral ministry. And quite frankly, that was a little bit hard for me because I really wanted to be a missionary. Hmm. And it was like God said, no, that's that's not what you're supposed to be doing. I want you in local church ministry. And and actually, I loved being a local pastor. Hmm. Um, as you just stated, I did that for 28 years. Yeah, But always the churches that I led had a real global focus as well. Okay. It was a well-rounded balanced focus. So the churches I led were not just about missions, but that was always an important part of our ministry. Okay. Uh, so also during those years, the Billy Graham Association got a hold of me just kind of randomly and asked if I would help them with some things. And so uh, for five years while I was a pastor, I worked in 24 different countries for the Billy Graham Association. Wow and worked with national leaders and networks in all these different countries. And uh, that was a great experience. Of course, that just ratcheted up my, my hunger and desire for the nations of the sure. world. Sure. Um, about 10 years ago, Converge got a hold of me. Um, I, w of course, was very connected to Converge. I was in a Converge church. Mm -hmm. But they got a hold of me and asked if I would consider taking this role. And I just laughed at them, literally laughed, <laughs> because that was the most ridiculous thing I ever heard. But um, they asked if I'd pray about it. And I prayed about it, and God just made it so clear that mm -hmm. I was supposed to take the next step. And then it just kind of went from there. Mm -hmm. So I ended up in this role. I, Peter, I have to tell you, it was very intimidating. I remember the first day in work, I came to the office here, and I'm surrounded by men and women who have been in missions their whole life. Mm. And now suddenly I'm their leader. 
And <laughs> what I said to them was, hey, everyone, please don't let me do anything really stupid. <laughs> so I really began on this steep learning curve of, of leading our Converge Missions uh, Department, and it's been uh, such an honor. Well, that's great. You know, as we jump into this conversation, it occurs to me that when people hear the word missions, I think they often have in mind a, a certain model. Maybe it's the model of Americans or Europeans going overseas to evangelize unreached people groups. And for some, it may conjure up images of, of trying to, to civilize people. Uh, before we dive into a conversation about missions and why it matters, let's make sure we're on the same page in terms of what we mean. What's a, a more accurate picture of missions today? How would you describe that? Yeah. You know, there are so many different kinds of missions and so many different views of missions. So I'll, I'll just kind of tell you where I'm at on this. Mm -hmm. And, and I believe it's, I, I think Peter, it's in alignment with, with God's word too. So we'll see. <laughs> but, uh, you know, when Jesus said that we are to make disciples of all the nations, he was also telling us as his followers that we have something to give the world that no one else can, can give the world. So there's nothing wrong with uh, missions being about education and, and about water projects and about feeding the hungry and caring for the hurting. Nothing wrong with that. In fact, often that has to go with, uh, you know, the other things that we're doing. But primarily what, what, when we talk about missions, it is about making disciples of people who don't know Jesus. Hmm. And so um, we do that differently today, I think, than maybe in uh, some generations before. Um, at least we're maybe a little more intentional right now. In Converge, we are. Uh, we know that Westerners, for example, are not going to be the primary movers and shakers of the unreached people groups in the world. Mm -hmm. We need to go out and catalyze movements among these people groups that are led by those people mm -hmm. on the ground. So uh, what we say in, in uh, the mission world now is, and in Converge, we say we don't send missionaries to plant a church. We send missionaries to raise up church planters. Mm. We don't send missionaries to reach a group of people. We send missionaries to reach a people group. And, um, and so we're always looking at catalyzing movements of nationals on the ground to see the work get done because they know their culture so much better. Sure. They know the language. They know it's going to work so much better than we do. And they'll be accepted by their own people so much better than we will. Hmm. Um, so that's, that's one of the, the, ch the changes that we're very intentional about in the world of missions right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that makes, that makes sense. And how would you see missions impacting the ministry of a local church? Many of our listeners are, are pastors uh, leading, leading churches. How, how do you see, or, or maybe how would you hope that missions would uh, affect the, uh, the ministry of a local church? Yeah. I can talk from personal experience on that too. Um, let, me, let me start there. Sure. The churches that I've led have all become so much healthier spiritually because we've been engaged in the world. We have had a greater impact in our own communities 
because we've been engaged with the world. And it's almost like God's blessing falls on a church that engages with the Great Commission in a holistic way. Mm-hmm. So oftentimes, I when I look at Acts 1-8, for example, um, where Jesus calls us to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the remotest parts of the earth. It's kind of interesting um, that that, and, and you know this so well uh, in the seminary world, that that is such a unique sentence structure in Acts 1-8 where all of those different categories, those four categories, are connected with the conjunction and. Mm-hmm. And when I look at that, it's like, I, I believe what Jesus was saying is that my followers, my church needs to be engaged with these, not sequentially. In other words, we don't wait till we reach our Jerusalem to start working on Judea. We don't wait till we reach Judea till we think about the Samaritan world. And we don't wait till we reach the Samaritan world to, to reach the remotest parts. Hmm. It, it, it actually is not sequential. It's simultaneous. And so when, what I found is that when the churches I've led are engaged in all four of those dimensions simultaneously, there is a blessing of God that falls on a church. Hmm. And um, my, my, in my last church, uh, we always prayed that we'd be a church that would grow primarily through evangelism. Mm-hmm. And the more we got engaged with, uh, with the world um, in missions, the healthier our church became. And we saw more and more people come to know Christ. In fact, the last two years I was at this congregation, each year we had over 200 people make first-time decisions for Christ. And these are people from outside of the church. Now, we may say, why did that happen? I am absolutely convinced it happened because when we become more and more aware of God's heart for the world and for lost people, it actually does something to our heart and the lost people right around us as well. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's a tremendous blessing for the local church as we simply obey and do what God has, has called his church to do. And that mm-hmm. is to be engaged, you know, deeply in that great commission to all the nations of the world. And Peter, one more quick thing. When I, when I think about the great commission, I often say it this way. If you take the nations, the ethne out of the great commission, you, you have something, but it's not great anymore. Mm-hmm. Okay, and and uh, I found that to be the case, you know, even in the local church, hmm. it really makes a difference. Yeah, well, I can imagine that you have to keep that focus at a time when people are thinking very carefully about scarce resources and things like that, making a making a case for that. I mean, I can imagine someone saying, you know, in a time of scarce resources, I can. I can do more kingdom good by reaching lost people in my neighborhood and discipling them in my church than sending money or people overseas. But you're, you're seeing a, an organic, a more organic connection in terms of the health of the local church to that, that outward focus. Yes. And I totally understand people thinking that way. Here's the interesting thing about missions is that um, there is, there is more, there are more resources to do missions than most pastors and churches realize. So for instance, when Compassion International comes into a church and they present their case for adopting uh, children, mm-hmm. um, 
you can have in a, in a small congregation, you can have 20, 30, 40 people who commit to 35 or $40 a week. And that's all missions money that was there before, mm. but someone called it out. Mm-hmm. And so I think so often in, in the, especially in the missions world, people, there are people who have that, that bent towards missions anyway, they may not even know it, but when they, when they hear an opportunity to engage, it opens their wallets. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think there, there are more resources for missions than most churches and pastors realize because mm-hmm. we have never had a compelling, we rarely give a compelling reason for people to give or, or a way to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, the other, uh, the other thing that I want to say about churches engaging in missions is it's not always about money either. We, we had, uh, just as an example, very recently, um, we have a team in Togo, West Africa, who are working in the birthplace of voodooism. And voodoo, voodooism is alive and well there. It's a very spiritually dark mm. climate. We had um, two virtual prayer walks with a bunch of uh, churches and praying partners because there was a resistance in their ministry there. They were just not seeing fruit. Mm-hmm. They were in a totally unreached area and they could not get this church to take root. So we had the, we had about a hundred prayer people on these prayer walks, two different times. And since that prayer walk, that second prayer walk, we have had right at 500 people come to know Christ. That was 16 weeks ago. Wow. And what they say in Togo is something happened the day the church engaged in prayer with us. Hmm. There was, Literally the next day, people started coming to faith in Christ and there was a spiritual breakthrough that happened. Now it didn't cost the churches here a penny. It just cost them a little of their time and energy and a little bit of their heart Mm. to pray. So there are so many ways we can engage in missions in the world. If we, you know, if we think about creative ways to do that. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's, that's a fantastic story. That's, that's just wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. So along those lines, what, what role do short-term mission trips play in the overall missions effort you know, for a local church? I've heard when I was pastoring a church, sometimes missionaries would, would talk about, you know, I've, I've heard two different things. I've heard some missionaries say, you know, short-term missions are, are really vital and, and really great. And others have been sort of like, well, they're, they're a necessary burden in a sense. I won't call it a necessary evil, <laughs> but a necessary burden. You know, right. I, I've heard a story of one um, one church that was painted like four times in a summer because, uh, you know, churches just came over and they had to have something for them to do. So they just painted the church over and over again, which doesn't seem all that, um, all that effective or, or useful. So what in your, in your view, what role do the short-term mission trips play? And, and if they are an important part of this, what, what would you recommend in terms of going about planning something like that to make it as effective as it can be? Yeah. Peter, that's, that's just a great question and such an important topic for the local church because for quite a number of years now, the, the local church has been you know, really engaged in short-term missions. Uh, most churches do something that way. Uh, so many people get their call to missions through some kind of short-term mission trip or cross-cultural experience. Mm-hmm. So in that way, you know, it's very important to give that experience to people. 
but I would say um, one of the one of the the things that probably we can do better in the in planning for these mission trips is to make sure they're really mission trips mm-hmm. and not just cross cultural experiences. Mm-hmm. So the church that's been painted four times, I even heard of one that was painted seven times in the summer. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, the kids go, they they do this, or the adults go, they do a building project or something like that. They come back, they feel so good about what they've done, but it really hasn't done anything to advance the kingdom, mm-hmm. you know. And so what I would say is if we do a missions trip, let's make sure it's a, a true win for where we go and for those who go. Mm-hmm. So sometimes we, I think some uh, may have mission trips just to send groups out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe sometimes just to say we've done it mm-hmm. uh, to a degree and we're giving people cross-cultural experience that way. But if, if we want to do them well, we have to make sure that what we're going to do on the other end is actually an add value. So painting a church for the fourth time is not going to be an add value. Sure. But maybe, maybe there is something else that can be done there. Um, so in, just as an example, maybe not going and doing vacation Bible school year after year after year is the best route to go. Maybe it's going with fewer people and training the people on the ground to actually do quality vacation Bible schools. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's that whole idea of, you know, if you give a person a fish, you feed them for a day. If you teach them to fish, you feed them for a lifetime. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we need to teach people to fish more mm-hmm. um, rather than just serve them that way. So those are a couple of the things about uh, short-term mission trips I think of. I think it's important to prepare people beforehand, spiritually, help them understand what this is all about. So there's pre-work. And then I think after the trip, there is a debriefing um, that needs to happen to really make sure that they've heard God's voice and know what next steps to take mm-hmm. with what they've experienced. Mm-hmm. By the way, here's another another piece. In uh, my last church, we sent quite a few mission trips out. And we started thinking, what what could we what could we do to make this impact on these? Uh, mission goers last longer. What could mm-hmm. we do? And so for the youth group that, that would go on trips, we would say, what did you do there that you could also do here in our community? Mm. And actually we started ministries in our own community mm. to some of the, the needy people and the lost people in our own community uh, because they learned they could do this and love doing it. Uh, they could also do it here. Mm. Um, the difference is, it takes a little bit of a lifestyle change when you start doing missions right in your own neighborhood. Yeah. Which, which actually is a really good thing because it stretches your faith. All of a sudden yeah. Christianity and even missions is not something, you know, contained in a 10 day trip or something like that. Sure. Yeah. Well, and in, in light of that, what, what has been your experience of the effect of that? I mean, do, you know, I think of the, the mountaintop experience that you have, when you go on a, a mission trip or, or sometimes a retreat or that sort of thing. But, you know, I, in my own family, my kids have come back from mission trips and they're, they're really on fire and you, know, you want that to last for, for a long time. You, you suggested, you know, some ways of, of doing that, that intentionality to do that, but, but 
do you find that it is a, a long-term impact or, or is it a, you know, kind of a short-term high that the effect wanes uh, and you're sort of having to convince the same group of people uh, down the road to, to get involved in things or does it tend to be a more um, lasting impact and, and maybe some other ways of, of trying to foster right. that long-term impact? Right. Yeah. Um, great question again, Peter. And I think maybe only the Lord knows how many misses we make <laughs> with short-term mission trips. And here's what I mean by that. I, I just feel like through even my years as a pastor, there have been so many opportunities we have missed because we didn't see the mission trip uh, as an ongoing opportunity after we got back. Mm. We just thought of it as a 10 or 12 day experience. Boom, that was it. But I think if we see it differently, if we see it not only as we're going to make an impact there, but God's going to plant something in the hearts of those who go that needs to be nurtured when we come back, mm -hmm. that there's an ongoing watering and, and tilling Mm -hmm. of those seeds that are planted. I think we can really see many more people uh, not only move into missions, but maybe move into all sorts of different ministry mm. roles because God has stirred something. Mm -hmm. But if we fail to till it and take care of it, um, I think a lot of times we miss, we miss those opportunities. Mm -hmm. So I don't have a formula and how to yeah. do that, but I think it's a real mindset change and how we think about missions and, and the opportunities we have to move people into more meaningful ministry in the years after yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's really helpful. So suppose there's a, one of our listeners perhaps is a, pastoring a small, a small church, don't have a lot of, uh, a lot of resources in, in their overall budget, uh, but they want, to, they want to get involved in this. What would be some ways, you know, you've already talked about some practical ways, you know, that don't cost, don't cost anything, but, but what'll be some ways that they could sort of step up their commitment to missions and, and begin to move in this, in this direction? Yeah, I would say, um, now I'll, and, and this, by the way, is not a, an, an advertisement by any means, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I do love what we're doing in Converge because we have a whole team now in Converge International Ministries that works with, with churches across the U.S. Hmm. And um, they're there to help churches know how to engage. So I'm going to just say this. We do have a team in Converge, um, a whole, 15 different people on this team right now that'll connect with any church of any size and listen to your heart, hear what wants to happen and help you uh, learn how to engage well. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And one of the other things we're doing is uh, developing what we call a consortia. Mm -hmm. So a consortium is a group of people and churches in the U.S. that now meaningfully partner with one of our major ministry initiatives in other places in the world. So mm -hmm. right now we have 14 different ministry initiatives in the world, all among least reach peoples. And uh, that'll, that'll move to 20 in the next few, few mm -hmm. years. But uh, there's a whole group of churches and individuals who are working on this side of the ocean mm -hmm. to uh, have a positive influence and impact with the people working on the front lines mm -hmm. among those least reached people groups. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't matter 
if you're an individual or how small a church you are, you can have a vital role in um, seeing least reached peoples reached with the gospel mm-hmm. uh, by participating in one of those. Mm. Um, so, I, yeah, I, you know, again, I think it's, it's, it's hard to know exactly what to say to that until, because mm-hmm. uh, each church has its own bent. Sure. And, and, and what, you know, what is it that's going to really um, inspire them or uh, kind of scratch that itch that God's mm-hmm. put on them for, mm-hmm. for the mission world? Sure. So what would be some other resources that you could recommend? You've, you've mentioned for, for converged churches, um, you know, your office and your team, uh, but more broadly, are there resources that you would recommend to our listeners that they could check out as they're, as they're thinking about this, whether that's books or websites, podcasts, Ted talks, anything like that. Yeah. Uh, Let me just give a couple here. I've got three books that I would suggest for starters. Okay. Um, uh, J.D. Greer has written a book, Gaining by Losing. I love that book because it really is all about the local church. Mm -hmm. And especially in the, in the uh, Western world, we've gotten the idea that uh, we kind of want to keep what we have uh, mm-hmm. as far as people and so on too, and resources. And um, this is just a tremendous challenge uh, about how we actually gain by giving and by losing. We gain mm-hmm. by lose. So mm-hmm. Gaining by Losing by J.D. Greer. Uh, one of the best audiobooks I have heard in uh, several years is by David Platt. Now you can get it to read too, but this is a great audiobook. It's called Something Needs to Change, and it's filled with stories. It's really, it's really about going on a short-term missions trip up in um, the Himalayan mountains with David Platt, mm-hmm. but um, it tugs on your heart, and it opens your eyes, and okay. it, that'd be a great audiobook. Another one is uh, just one more, Finish the Mission by John Piper and David Mathis finish the mission. It's about reaching the unreached and unengaged unreached people groups. And here's the, the reason I suggest that one too, is because not all missions are created equal. You know, when Jesus said, Matthew 24, 14, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. Hmm. It's like, it's like Jesus said, this gospel has to get to every people group, every ethne, um, and, and then the end will come. Mm-hmm. Then the return uh, will happen, mm-hmm. but not until then. It's almost like God is restraining his return until all are reached. And so if we want to see him return and hasten his return, mm-hmm. then uh, you know the, we really need to make sure that we're not just doing missions, but that we're helping to actually accomplish the great commission of mm-hmm. discipling all the ethne mm-hmm. world. And that's why I love this book. It's about finishing the mission. Mm-hmm. It'll open, open um, our eyes as we read that. Mm. By the way, one really fun video, 14 minute video um, is called never the same by pioneers USA. Okay. Never the same. So a lot of people maybe have heard of the book, the peace child. Yep. Okay, so this is my friend Steve Richardson, 
who is the president of Pioneers now, actually uh, planned this trip and brought his father and his two brothers back there 50 mm. years later. Wow. To see what happened to the Sawi people in uh, uh, Papua. And it is, it is so powerful. It's worth every second of 14 minutes. So again, you just Google never the same uh, by pioneers and you'll find it. It's, it's a really powerful um, video and it'll stir your heart for missions. Mm. That's great. Well, we will make sure those things are all linked in the show notes so that folks okay. have uh, easy access to that. Um, looking at the time, I realize our, our time is almost gone, Ivan. I really appreciate this conversation. Is there any final advice you have for our, for our listeners? Any, any last minute things you want to, you want to get in before we have to sign off? Do you know, just real quickly, uh, my wife, Susan and I were reading Isaiah 52 and 53 this morning. And as I was reading that, it was, it was just so powerful to see the prophecy of scripture about Christ and actually the clarity of that of the fact that the savior of the world would come to deal with our sin issue and yet in jesus day they were looking at the roman issue not their sin issue hmm. and i just started thinking this morning about how do our paradigms in our world now affect how we understand scripture and what god's told us to do and told us to be about mm-hmm. and i would challenge our listeners to wrestle with the paradigms that shape our thinking So again, what I mentioned earlier is um, if you take the nations out of the great commission, you no longer have a great commission. Hmm. And so where the nations were so central to the heart of God, you Hmm. see it all the way from the old Testament that thread all the way through into the new Testament and to the very end of time. How, how is that important piece so central to God's heart and so central to the purpose of the church being reflected in how we measure success in the local church, how we act, how we program, how we plan, how we preach, uh, you name it. Hmm. And, and I think a lot of times it's the paradigms we're in that kind of blind us hmm. to maybe the freshness of what God's word is, is, is saying to us. So hmm. that's just a challenge I'll throw out there as we, as we finish today. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a great word and a great challenge. Thank you. Thanks for that. And Ivan, thanks so much for being a guest here today. It's been a great conversation. I wish we had more time to continue this conversation, but this has been really, really helpful. Thank you so much. Peter, it's been an honor. Thank you for having me on. Well, you've been listening to Whole and Holy, the Bethel Seminary podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you have suggestions for future um, episodes of the podcast or comments you'd like to share, please email us at whole-and-holy at bethel.edu. Again, that's whole-and-holy at bethel.edu. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Whole and Holy. This podcast is a production of Bethel Seminary in collaboration with Bethel University's Office of Church Relations. Please share your feedback with us, including ideas you'd like to see in future episodes, by emailing us at wholeandholy at Bethel.edu. Once again, that address is wholeandholy at Bethel.edu. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.